there is a website that apparently, you know, some of you teachers might enjoy some of this, there's a website that has actually posted some comments that teachers have put on reports. How many of you all have your kids go to school and they do a, a report, 50 words, 100 words, whatever words it might be, uh, and they come home and they bring the report home and there's a grade on it, A, B, C, D, F, stuff like that, you know, and they come up with now E's, you know, in case you just want to put that on or whatever you have to do. And of course, I've heard the reports too, you can't make red marks on it because red is bad and that just leaves a bad impression on the kids. So we can't do red anymore. We've got to do things like purple and green and, and blue and whatever other colors. When it used to be, you know, the red mark showed you what was wrong in the thing. Now you've got to figure it out. So you can't have all that. And um, there's an actual website that put some comments that some teachers had written about the, um, uh, about the children's reports. And I wanted to, to read those comments to you. Here's one. While Daniel remains at school, a village somewhere is being deprived of an idiot. Sandra sets low standards for herself and consistently fails to achieve them. Dylan's contribution to his biology class this semester by providing a perfect example of a primate. Now, we read these some of the... How many of you actually believe that teachers had the guts to rate these things? <laughs> I don't know if they did or not, but that was what was on the, on the website about this. It would be interesting if they actually did. But it is interesting to note that as soon as I begin to read these and tell you that they're part of the comments that were on the bottom of the page, instantly, inside of us, we begin to decide whether we're going to believe it or not. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes some of you are sitting there and say, nah, no, nobody would write that on a... <laughs> On the bottom of a report, send that home? No, nobody would write that. Surely not. Well, we've been spending the better part of about a half year on fruitfulness. And believe it or not, I still have more things I could teach on fruitfulness. We haven't hit it all. But I've left that aside and we're going to maybe take up some of those other things down the road because it's time to to tune into something else. And uh, it's been about three years since we last taught on anything in the area of faith principles. But the Word of God tells us that now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. We spent a half year on hope. We spent a half year on love. But we don't always go over faith because there's other things in the Word of God. And sometimes as soon as you bring up the idea you're going to talk about faith, people get an idea inside and on, on the inside of us we instantly get into one group or the other. Oh, not this again. Oh, I can't wait for that. Oh, this is good. And we'll get into, into one side or the other, don't we, on that? But we're going to talk about it for a little bit different way, and that is an area of doubt. Because, you know, faith and doubt kind of go together as far as teaching is, is concerned. And so we entitled this series, Victory for Doubters. How many of you would consider yourself to be a doubter? <laughs> I hope that by the end of the, the, this one lesson, I hope by the end of this one listen, lesson, just this one right here. Every single one of you will raise your hand and say, I am a doubter. Does that surprise you? Good. Then we're in the right place. I want you to turn over, if you would, to Mark, the 11th chapter, in verse 11. Now, this uh, passage of Scripture that we will eventually get to is a passage of Scripture that many people have read and taught on. And sometimes, as soon as we begin to hear Mark, chapter 11, we instantly begin to think, oh, no. <laughs> but what is interesting about Mark chapter 11 is this. It is not Fred Price who teaches it. It is not Creflo Dollar who teaches it. 
It's not Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, who teaches Mark chapter 11. Do you know who teaches Mark chapter 11? Jesus did. Jesus taught Mark chapter 11 to his disciples. Now, y'all have been having some fun with labels. I enjoyed uh, Brandon's thing here this morning on labels, and Ethel's been having some fun on some other things. And that's just a little mini thing we did on the Wednesday night's labels. But uh, I've been having some fun meditating on it too and, and, and having some labels. And we're going to see Jesus put some other labels on, on some of these folks. But we can sometimes label this ourselves and say, oh, I don't need this. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, no. Oh. But Jesus did this, and Jesus had a group of people he called his disciples. And these are the people that he put the most into. These are the guys that got the most teaching, got the most insight. These are the ones that he he went after. And he teaches them this lesson. So we wanted to go back to verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So it's late, but he went out to to Bethany. Now the next day, that's the day after it. Now uh, chapter 11 if we start at verse 1, we would find out that Jesus had the triumphal entry. You know, when the palm branches and everybody's saying, Hosanna in the highest, and they're all glad that Jesus is here. But Jesus went into the temple. Verse 11. So when he had looked around at what? Jesus looked around at all things. Where? In the temple. Jesus looked around at all things. In the temple. As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he comes into Jerusalem with all this fanfare. He goes into the temple and he looks around. He doesn't do anything. He just looks around. And then he leaves. Now he's there meditating. We know Jesus is a man of prayer. He probably went to to God the Father and began to pray. Talk to him about some of the things that are going on here. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a a fig tree having leaves... He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Does Jesus know it's not the season for figs? We're told from one that he had leaves, but gave the appearance of having figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Well, it doesn't have fruit, but it's not the season for fruit. So why is Jesus upset? Because it had the leaves... Like it looked like it should have fruit. Which is exactly what he ran into in Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem and they gave the appearance of having fruit with the leaves and the branches and the hosanna and all that sort of stuff. But what? There's no fruit. Because he went in the temple and he looked around. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry, carry wares for the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, it is, not written, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he saw all this the day before. He goes home, prays about it, comes back the next day. On his way over there, he passes by the fig tree, sees the leaves, goes up to it for some figs, curses the thing, and then goes on into the temple, and he proceeds to overturn all the money tables and pronounce all these things. And the scribes and the chief priests heard about it and rejoiced. No, they weren't too happy about that, were they? And they thought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. 
Now in the morning, that's the next day, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So understand that the lesson of the fig tree, the, the reason that the fig tree was cursed was simply because of an, a, an example that Jesus gave about the lack of fruit. When you gave the appearance of fruit but not having the fruit. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now, Jesus is not surprised about this. Now, He did not command the tree to wither. He simply commanded that no one else would eat fruit from this tree ever again. That's all He said. But what it, it happened was the next day the tree withered. Now, how many of you all have ever seen a tree die in a day? It don't happen very often, does it? We lived in a house over in Hatfield. It was a townhome. And they had this huge tree. I think it was an oak tree. Huge tree. Really big tree. And apparently, this tree was preserved in the development. It was called the uh, fairgrounds. And there was a, uh, a fairground that was there before. And they had this tree. And this tree had, had memories for people. It was 100, 150 years old. However old this tree was, it was an old tree. And people remember, remembered coming underneath the tree and having picnics and stuff like that. So they tried to preserve it. But what they didn't do was it did not rope off the section around the tree. And so some of the tractors drove too close to the tree and crushed the roots. And they said at that point, the tree was dead. But the tree continued to live on for quite a long time. And uh, one, sec one side of it died and some of the big branches died. And, and eventually they just came on in and they cut it down because uh, it was just too much of a hazard. But this was years, many, many years afterwards. This one, Jesus, he, he, he pronounced this one time and then comes back and that's it. The tree's dead. It's withered from the roots. Jesus isn't surprised, but they are. And his response is, have faith in God. Or as the literal translation is, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now here's the problem that we come into. He says, and does not doubt in his heart. And very often we find ourselves that we, we sometimes are doubters. That we pray something, but I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. I'm just not sure that it's going to be that way. And what he's teaching us, he took this opportunity to teach them on faith. And he saw some principles. And so, understand, this is Jesus teaching. That's why scratch anybody else. If somebody else taught something or did something on this verse you didn't like, then throw that out. Of, this is Jesus teaching. What does Jesus say about this thing? Now, we're focusing not on the faith part. We're focusing on the doubt part. That's what we want to get into here. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, we've taught you this in the area of prayer, in the, uh, in the area of healing. I'm sorry. In the area of healing, how many times have I told you, do not ask God to heal you? I say that to you over and over again, and still I'll find people who will... Who will uh, go against that or, or do something. But we'll challenge you. I'll challenge you now. Go through the Word of God. You find one time that Jesus ever prayed to God to heal somebody. One time. Never did. You find one time the disciples went out, never prayed to God. God healed this person. Never did. Didn't happen. No one ever prayed to God to heal anyone. They simply spoke to the sickness. Now we go back into this thing. When you look at the fig tree, does Jesus pray to God? God, let this fig tree dry up from the roots. What does He do? He speaks to it. Should we do as Jesus did? 
If we want to have results, shouldn't we do it? But a lot of times we do it differently. Now, I grew up in a church. My folks grew up in a church. My sister, my brother, we've had conversations on this. We grew up in, in, in a church that taught us to ask God to be healed. And we would come up to the front and we would ask, Oh God, heal this person. Oh God, if it be your will. Now, that's what I was raised on in these churches. This is what people taught me. And so I still, I know this is not true. I know it. I know that you should speak to sickness and disease. I know it. But I still catch myself every once in a while. Oh, God. <laughs> and then I slap myself across the face spiritually <laughs> and get right with the thing. Because that's not what the example is in the Word of God. If we're going to have success, we've got to do it the way the Word of God said to do it. Not the way brother so-and-so said. Not the way sister so-and-so said. Not anything else. We've got to do it the way that God told us to do it in His Word. We got to see how people did it. In the Word of God, when they came up to a layman, they didn't come and say, Oh Lord, heal this layman if it be your will. What'd they do? Grab him by the hand, command him, get up and walk. They do stuff like that. But they didn't never sit there and pray to God. Even when Jesus ran into dead people. The closest we have is at Lazarus' tomb when Jesus says, Oh Father, I thank you that you hear me always. <laughs> but he doesn't mention Lazarus being dead or wanting to raise him up, does he? He simply says, I thank you, you hear me always. Lazarus, Come forth. Real long. See, most of Jesus' things weren't long. We start getting long, we're trying to talk ourselves out of doubting. We're trying to project an image that we're not doubting. Our problem, folks, sometimes is not in the area of faith. Our problem is in the area of doubt. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. We'll get into that verse there in a moment. But you will notice this, that the thing that is mentioned the most is what you say. The thing that is mentioned the second the most is what you believe. The thing that is mentioned third is what you doubt. What is mentioned most often is what you say. You will find that uh, more often in this verse, Jesus refers to the saying part. Secondly, he refers to the believing and third to the doubt. But too often, folks, we aren't saying, we aren't speaking anything. Jesus spoke to a fig tree. We've used that as an example before. We told you, how many of y'all talk to your cars? <laughs> we talk to our car. How many talk to your dogs? <laughs> your dog doesn't understand you, does it? No, but we talk to them just the same. And they look at us and they smile real pretty. And they, you know, <laughs> all kinds of, they're, they're right there. But I have no idea what you're saying. But I'm just glad you're talking to me. This is real cool. <laughs> we talk to our cars. Can our cars hear us? How many of you men will join me? We talk to our tools. <laughs> Work! Come on! <laughs> Don't we talk to... We talk to inanimate Dodge. How many talk to your checkbook? How many have you hear your checkbook talking to you? You ever hear your checkbook talking to you? How many hear your house talking to you? Does your house say things? I need fixing. <laughs> I'm falling apart. I need paint. <laughs> it's speaking to us different things that are going on. We don't like that. And when you look at what Jesus said back here, over here in verse um, uh, verse 14, that Jesus came to the fig tree, in verse 14 it says, in response, Jesus said to it. Now other translations say, Jesus answered and said. How do you answer and say something? How do you say something in response if it didn't speak first? <laughs> you know what, folks? The fig tree spoke to Jesus and he came up and talked to it. Now the disciples didn't hear it, but Jesus heard it. If you're hearing things from your checkbook, if you're hearing things from whatever ministry God has you in, if you're hearing things from your job that aren't being said, but you're just hearing things, if you're hearing things from the economy, if you're hearing things, wherever it might be, you're not alone and you're not crazy. 
<laughs> Jesus, Jesus heard the fig tree. No one else heard the fig tree. No one else answered the fig tree. But Jesus heard it. And in response, he said this. That is one of the most interesting things in this verse. In response, Jesus said. <laughs> in response, Jesus said. So speak to things. We've got to talk to things. Jolly, Brother Jolly was talking about stuff like that. We've got to start talking to some stuff. And, some, and speaking to some stuff. And don't do it because brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did it, said it. Did it because Jesus said so. This is his example. He spoke to things. He is speaking to a fig tree. He wants it to die. <laughs> or, or not have any, nobody come and get fruit anymore anyway. How many of you have trees out in your lawn that could use some life? Well, if he could speak to one to not have life, maybe he could speak to one to have life, huh? But see, we're just not speaking to things. We're just letting things go on. And there's a reason for it. When we get to the end, like we said, there's something I want you all to be able to say that I am. We are. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I want to change the emphasis of this verse just slightly. I'm not going to change the wording. I just want to change the emphasis a little bit. You tell me if this isn't what Jesus is teaching. And whatever, and whenever you stand praying, if you have any, whoops, I'm jumped to the wrong verse, verse 24. Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe. Does that change a little bit for you? Instead of whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. How about this? Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. When you pray, believe that you receive them. Now notice, Jesus did not think anything about the tree being withered. Because when he spoke it, he expected it to be done. Now he does use this phrase. Does he not say when you pray? Doesn't he say when you pray? Did Jesus pray? No, Jesus spoke, right? Go back over here to the, to the text. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Is, anyone, is there any prayer in there? As we know prayers, we think of prayer. Is there any prayer in there? I say to you, whatever, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So even though there is not, oh, Father God, do this, apparently he's still associated with prayer, isn't he? Because we have what he did, and then we have what he says, and then we have what he teaches. Why would Jesus teach about prayer if what he is getting into here, he is not considering some type of prayer? But it's not a prayer speaking to God to do something. It is a command to something to get in line. And apparently he's talking about this as, as prayer as well. But we've got to get out of this mentality that says, oh, I've got to ask God. Oh, God, heal me. Oh, God, do this. And, and Jesus never did. If Jesus never did, why are we? Well, we're not Jesus. Okay, well, what about Peter? What about Paul? What about John? Did they? No. Well, then if they didn't, and whatever things you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Your trespasses. And I only want to include that in there. Again, we're not trying to teach in this whole section of, of teaching. But understand that though doubt is also an enemy 
to your faith, so is unforgiveness. So is unforgiveness. You've got to make sure you don't walk in unforgiveness because that will hold back the things you want to do. Don't be sitting there with bitterness towards people. That's going to mess you up. All right. We're going to focus on doubters here. Matthew adds this to it. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has, was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, is he telling us to go around moving mountains? Is he telling us to go around and, and changing the landscape of things? I don't think that's his goal. I think he's showing you something large and saying you could even do that if you could believe. If you could find something in the Word of God that would tell you that it's God's will for you to move that mountain now, then yes, I guess you could speak to that mountain, literal mountain, and go. But how many of you all know we have mountains in our life that are sitting there and we aren't speaking to them, they're speaking to us and we're staying there quiet? How many of y'all know every time you hear bad news about the economy, it's a mountain in your life and you're wondering, well, I don't know how well this is going to go. Oh, I don't know about my job. Oh, I don't know about more business coming in. Is that speaking to you? <laughs> and we're listening and we're generally speaking things out of what these things spoke to us. Now, we have some examples of people who doubted instead of believing. I want to take a look at those. Peter on the water, Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter because he was thinking. And he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, he had a little faith and he walked on the water. But he said, you, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What caused him the problems? It wasn't for failure of action. It wasn't for failure of, you, know, you jump into a water with a stormy water with waves and stuff like that. I mean, that takes something. He did it. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why? Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away in the Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, can you imagine that? Here's Jesus. Read for you and you worship him, but then some doubted. Some, can you believe that? Some, here's Jesus. Jesus is standing here, but I'm not, I'm not real sure. Might not be Jesus. Might be an impersonator. Might be someone who just looks like Jesus. How can we be sure? <laughs> Luke 24, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. But they were afraid and frightened and supposed that they had seen the Spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? How many of you all know that doubts generally arise in us? We're not born with them. They're not there, but they generally come up and they rise up on the inside of us. And oh, here's a doubt. You know, you never really wonder about a problem until somebody comes up and tells you that, there's, that something bad could happen. How many of you all know? Well, I, was, uh, I was up in Easton yesterday. I was delivering a bed to a couple. And, um, you know, we had the snow and they had snow up there in Easton too. And they had this nice little hill outside. Oh, it was a wonderful little spot. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere to go sledding. They just took the kids right out to the back and they just slide down the hill and it's just open field they went out into. And tree, I mean, you're going down the slide under trees. And I'm thinking, this is, this is cool. I would like this. <laughs> under trees. This would be fun. And so uh, I could tell that um, the dad and the mom had the same conflict in their house that we have in ours. I could tell. Because they had a little three-month-old. And uh, I was asking her, do you, are you going to take, uh, are you going to go out there with the kids or do you just stay inside when they go out? And she said, well, it depends on whether he's sleeping or not. If he's awake, then I stay in here with him. 
I said, oh, you don't take them out with you? And the dad immediately said, well, I want to. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I mean, what could happen? <laughs> you know. But see, how do we come up with ideas that bad things can happen when you go sledding? How do we come up with that idea? We're not born with it, are we? Because we saw people. We heard people talk about things. Maybe we even experienced stuff. I've experienced some stuff with, with sledding. But you know what? I still go. <laughs> I still go. It's still fun. I like going fast. It's still good. Just because you had one problem doesn't mean it will happen again. You know, if you go uh, jumping out of an airplane with, an air, with a uh, parachute, just because it fails one time doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Give it another try. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Generally, doubts arise in our hearts. We're not born with the idea that sledding is, is dangerous. We're, we're just not, are we? We come into that knowledge. Because when you're young and you're looking, oh, how many of y'all have taken little kids out there on the hill? They do, oh, <laughs> yeah, they're ready to go, right? And, and you can see the, the moms and dads, the cautious ones are up there. Oh, that's an awful big hill. <laughs> Yeah, you've all been there with that sort of stuff. Well, doubts arose because of a few things. First of all, they, they arise because of, of what... I missed the letter there. Or what they saw. Doubts arose because of what they saw. They saw some things. What did they see? They saw Jesus hanging on a cross. They saw a sword pulled in his side and blood and water come out. They saw a limp body put into a tomb. These are, these are things that are hard to overcome, aren't they? They saw some stuff. And so a doubts rose in their heart. They also had doubts arose in their hearts because of stuff they did not see. Some of the people did not see Jesus at the tomb. Some of the people didn't see Jesus resurrected. And they were doubting because they didn't see Him. So we can have doubts arose, arise because of what we do see. And we can have doubts arise because of what we do not see. So think about this. Doubts can arise in your heart. Because of what you see. And doubts can arise in your heart because of what you don't see. Do we have a shot? <laughs> I mean, can, we, can we win this? I can have doubts if I don't see it. I can have doubts if I do see it. This is a problem. How am I going to overcome this? You might even be able to add this. Doubts can arise because of what we do not know. But we're going to deal with the seeing part here. In Mark chapter 15, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, he can, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. That we may see and believe. Oh, how many times have we thought, If I see it, I'll believe it. If I see it, and yet we already read stories where people saw Jesus standing right in front of them and they didn't believe, didn't believe it. They were doubting. John chapter 4, verse 48. And Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He was not too happy about that, was he? John chapter 6, verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you do, will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Well, if we're going to believe, you got to do something. Show us something. Show us what you got. Come on, God, if you're God. 
Show me some things. John chapter 20. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. You imagine that? The guys that you've been walking around with for all these years, they come to you. We've seen him. He was here. We weren't sure before Thomas, but while you were gone, he came here. We saw him. We saw it. It was, it was there. We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. That's his declaration. That unless I do this, I'm not going to believe. And after eight days, so he went on unbelieving for eight days, didn't he? After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Jesus says there is a belief that will come because you see stuff. But people who see can apparently still not believe. They can still doubt. And there's also a belief that comes for people who do not see. And he says, those are the blessed ones. Those are the blessed ones. Now, we are not without... We've, we've been in touch with believing without seeing it before. And really, for most of us, it's not a challenge. It's just in some areas we find it as a challenge. We've used this example before. I use it all the time because it was used for me. And I've never heard anything better. But how many of you, at one point in your life, most likely the reason you're here, got saved? Turned your life over to Jesus, got saved. Did anything noticeably change for you that day? I mean, from that point on, were you always happy? From that point on, were you always just confident that you're going to heaven? That you're, that you're saved? No, we, there wasn't a, whole, a real fit. We didn't, our appearance didn't change. We still look in the mirror. We still see the same guy. The same gal, I mean, the, same, the same person is there, but something changed. But if I were to come up to you and say, well, you're not saved, you would argue with me, wouldn't you? If I were to come up to you and say, where is your salvation? None of you could point to it. None of you could say, well, here it is. I couldn't see anything in it. But yet, I couldn't take that away from you. You are firmly set. I am saved. I am, I am saved. How about heaven? How many of us have seen Heaven. Anybody seen pictures? Anybody pictures of heaven? Anybody know anybody who's been to heaven? Personally. I know people out there writing books, but you know anybody personally who died and came back to, I was, I was just in heaven. Oh, wow. I was just there. Do we know anybody personally who's been there? Do you know what direction heaven is? Yeah, we point up, but you know what? Someone else is in China pointing the other way. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we believe, let's put it this way, we, are, we believe that we are going to a place that we haven't seen, we haven't seen any pictures of, we don't know anybody who's been there, we don't even know where it is, we don't know how far away it is, but we believe we're going. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Perfectly, doesn't it? I mean, it makes perfect sense to you. I believe in heaven. I haven't seen it. I haven't been there. I don't know anybody who's been there. I don't know exactly where it is, but I know I'm going. Now, to most people, that would be a little ridiculous. But it's not for us because we have fed our faith on what the Word of God says about salvation and about heaven. And no one can come to you and say, you're not going to heaven. I am too. I won't see you, apparently. <laughs> but I'm going. 
We're, we're, we're settled now. We're not, we're not alienated from this thing of believing without seeing. We have done it. It's not a problem for us to believe and not see. It's just in areas where our faith is not properly built up. Now, as soon as we get into the thing of faith, you know, people all start talking about things. And then some folks, well, I don't believe God wants to just give me things and stuff like that. But, you know, faith has a whole lot more application than just getting stuff. And just getting money. If it didn't, why in the world would the Word of God emphasize so much on faith? Without faith, it's impossible to be saved. Without faith, the Word of God tells us in Hebrews, it's impossible to please Him. Faith is important. Faith does a whole lot of things. It doesn't just get you stuff. It's by faith that we, we work miracles. It's by faith that we preach the gospel. It's by faith that we do all the things He told us to do. How many of you believe that, the, that God is on you, anointing you for whatever it is you do for His kingdom? That's faith, isn't it? How many of you always feel anointed? Do we always feel anointed? I mean, every day you wake up, boy, am I, I am anointed today. Oh, yeah. Do we always feel, we don't always feel anointed, do we? But the Word of God says that we are. When Jesus was walking around, going over to Jairus' house, and the woman came up from behind and touched the hem of his garment, and power came out from him. Do you think Jesus felt particularly anointed at that time? He just walked. I'm going from here to there. He didn't even know who touched him. He just knew somebody did and drew power off. There's faith for anointing. There's times that you have to get up and minister for whatever it is you're going to be doing, and you don't feel like it. And you look out there with the people, or if you just, you know, one-on-one ministry, or if it's a group of whatever it is, and you look out there and you see them, and they don't look like they're receiving anything. But by faith, Father God, I thank you. There's an anointing on me. That you put that anointing on for a purpose to minister to folks. And I thank you that anointing is on me. There's faith in that, isn't it? Because it's not based on what you see. It's not based on what you feel. It's based on something else. Now put this in your outline. When doubting is believing. When doubting is believing. Do you know that doubting can be believing? But I thought Jesus said to believe without doubt. Yeah, but I'm going to show you something that doubt can actually be believing. If you uh, head over to the doctor, doctor does some tests, and he comes on back from those tests, and he has some bad news for you. And he sits you down. And he, yeah, i got some bad news for you. I don't know if you all like the show Monk. I like the show Monk. And I remember the one scene where Monk was towards the end. I mean, if you saw the, the last couple of ones in the end, and Monk was poisoned. And the doctor came up to them. Anybody see this one? I love this, this scene. This scene was so funny. The doctor came up to him and they come down this long hallway. A monk is just saying, why is the hallway so long? I mean, he's just taking forever to get on down there. Finally, he gets on down there. He says, I have some bad news for you. And he gave, gave him the symptoms that he'd be going through. You're going to have, I uh, forget what all of them were, but I, I think the second was throwing up and then death. <laughs> I forget what the first one was. <laughs> but uh, anyway, whatever it was. And, and the doctor kept going, throwing up and then death. And, and monk can go back, throwing up? Yeah, and death. Yeah, but throwing up? <laughs> and death. Do I have to do the throwing up part? Yeah, but I really want you to focus on this. It's followed by death. Can I just skip the throwing up part and go? <laughs> he, just, he just wasn't quite getting it. <laughs> he didn't like the throwing up part. He'd rather die than do it. It was just hysterical. He was just so funny to, to see him go through all that. But sometimes, you know, the doctor will come up and offer some bad news for you. And the reason that it's bad news, and the reason that it's a problem, is this. 
Because we believe them. Isn't that right? The only reason the doctor's bad news is bad news is because you believe them. Have we not heard of cases where they came and they, oh, I'm sorry, that report was for somebody else. It wasn't your report. Sorry about that. They made a movie about that, didn't they? Somebody got a bad report and they went out there and lived crazy and and uh, then found out it was the wrong report. <laughs> the reason it's bad news is because we believe it. The reason that the economy news is bad is because we believe it will affect us. The reason that some people don't drive out in the snow is because they believe they will die. Isn't that right? They believe bad things will happen. I'll have an accident. I believe if I go out in the snow, I will have an accident. And so they don't go. It's the belief that's the problem. We believe in the wrong thing. What if we didn't believe it? If you were believing God for something and you got a report that was contrary to what you were believing God for, what happens if you don't believe the report? What happens? The Word of God is filled with people who did this. When the Israelites came to the Red Sea and they saw the army coming behind them and they saw the Red Sea in front of them and they heard something, didn't they? You are going to die. They believed it. When they came to the promised land and they sent the spies out and they went through Jericho and they came and they said, truly the land is a good land, but there are giants in the land. The problem with the Israelites was not the report that the ten spies brought. The problem was that the children of Israel believed the report of the ten spies. There is no better example than this because you have ten spies that are saying one report and two spies that are saying another. They chose to believe the ten, which meant what? They disbelieved the two. My challenge for you is this, folks. There is no situation that we are in where doubting is not involved. You will always doubt something. In order to believe anything, you must doubt something. It is impossible to believe one thing without doubting another. It is impossible. If you're going to go sledding, then you will operate on the belief that I will not get hurt, which means you doubt that you will. Right? We will always doubt something. Always. I can either choose to believe what God said to me through His Word or in my spirit. I can either choose to believe that or I can choose to believe the other one, the other report. I, can, I have to choose one or the other. If the doctor comes to me and gives me bad news, you are going to die. I can choose to believe that. The doctor can come, maybe it's not always death. The doctor may come and say, this will always be this way. It will never get better. You will always have this. Have we heard those kind of reports? How many times have we believed those reports? You can tell real easy when you, what you believe. Go out there and listen to your conversations. Because what you believe is what you'll talk about. We got an Eagles game coming out today. Has it played yet? No, but how many folks are declaring their belief? <laughs> how many people are out there declaring their belief? 
If you're a Green Bay fan, they're out there declaring, we're going to win. If you're an Eagles fan, you're out there declaring, we're going to win. We declare belief. Obviously, some people are wrong. But we still have that belief. We're not declaring a whole lot. We're not speaking to a whole lot. We've kind of stopped. What happens if you get up in the morning when you're getting ready to go into work and you're going to minister to some people there and you speak to the anointing in your life? Anointing, you will be alive in me. I'm going to minister to people. I'm going to do what the Word of God tells me to do. I'm going to speak words of life to people I run into today. They are going to be helped because they ran into me. What if you spoke things like that? And according to Jesus' definition of prayer, folks, that's praying. What if you speak to your job? Father God, I thank you that my job is prosperous, that my job is successful. Whatever I do at my job, I do by the wisdom of God. And what I put my hands to, your word says, will be successful. So I thank you that everything I put my hands to will be successful today. I thank you that the children that I teach, I thank you that the business that I handle, I thank you that the decisions that I make, the people I interact with, I will be successful in what I do with them. What if we did that? What if we changed some of that? I put in your outline this. Success is believing what is of God. Success is believing what is of God and doubting what is not. All you needed to do is to decipher what is of God and what is not. If it's of God, believe it. If it's not, doubt it. I think one of the most common phrases that we ought to pick up from here on, I know we all like to, you know, I believe that, I believe, I believe that, I believe it, I believe it. Hey, but I doubt it. I think we ought to pick up in our vocabulary and just begin to start talking about some stuff. I doubt it. If the enemy comes in and whispers, you're going to fail today, I doubt it. You're going to lose your job today, I doubt it. No, I doubt that. Mm -mm. Such and such is going to happen to you today. No, I doubt it. What if we just choose to doubt those things? The report that the enemy wants to bring us. What if we just choose to doubt that? What if the children of Israel had chosen to doubt the report of the ten spies? We would have a whole different bunch of chapters after that, wouldn't we? If they just said, you know what? I doubt that. What if the Red Sea was speaking to them, you're going to die? And they just said, I doubt it. What if the desert was speaking to the Israelites, you're going to die of thirst? And they just said, I doubt it. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I doubt that's going to happen at all. What if they just did that? What if we all became doubters? We became professional doubters. And I will always doubt anything that is not of God. I don't know. Is that in His Word anywhere? Is that of God? I don't think that's of God. I doubt it. I doubt it. But you know what we're doing? We're giving life to the stuff on the other side. We're not speaking to trees. We're not speaking to checkbooks. We're not speaking to situations. We're not speaking to jobs. We're doubting the wrong thing. You've got to begin to speak to things, say some things, and change some things. How many of y'all know there's people in your life that want to speak contrary to what you're believing? Don't let them. The only reason that generally people speak contrary to you is because you entertain their... Well, yeah, that could happen. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just, you know, corrected them right up right up front and just said, no, nah, I doubt that, they eventually stop talking about that because they, they may still think it in your presence, but they won't talk to you about it because they know what you're going to say. No, nah, I doubt it. No, nope. God's going to come through. 
Sometimes we just say to them, well, what if God's word comes true? What if what God promised me actually happens? Then what? Do we know what God promises us? See, too many Christians are out there, instead of getting into the word of God, when a situation comes up, when a mountain is in front of them, instead of coming to the word of God, they'd rather grab preacher so-and-so. What did he say? What did she say? Well, he said, she said, that this, isn't, this shouldn't happen. And to hang on that. We are not to hang on the words of preacher so-and-so. We are to hang on the words of Jesus. We are to hang on the words in the Word. Faith does not come because of preacher so-and-so. Faith comes by the Word of God. You didn't get faith that you're going to heaven. Faith that you're saved because of believing preacher so-and-so. You got it because you went to the Word of God. How many times have you woke up in the morning under condemnation of something that you did? Feeling bad because you'd given in to sin, temptation. And you asked God for forgiveness and the condemnation came back. Do you give in to it? Or do you simply say, no, I turned that over to God and God forgave me for that. And then the enemy comes in and says, well, do you feel forgiven? No. Well, I feel any different. I kind of feel... See, getting you to focus on the wrong thing. Who cares what you feel like? Does it matter if you feel forgiven? Are you forgiven? Does it matter if you feel saved? Are you saved? Does it matter if you feel like you're going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? What God has declared and what God has said in His Word is so. It's up to us. You're always going to doubt something. Which one are you going to doubt? Which way? Do you want to go? It was April 21st in the year of 1519. The Spanish explorer Cortez sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico. He brought with him only about 600 men. But over the next two years, though vastly outnumbered, he began to conquer Mexico. He was able to defeat Montezuma and all the warriors of the Aztec Empire. 600 men. It was quite a feat, quite an accomplishment, but he was not the first to land. And there were many who came before him who failed. What was it about Cortez that was different? The thing that Cortez did that no one else had the guts to do was when he landed on the shores, they got all their stuff off of the boats and he ordered the boats to be burned. And all the soldiers, 600 of them, sat on the shore watching their boats, their only way of retreat, going up in smokes. And they knew the only way we survive is if we win. Not telling you to do that, all that because of Cortez's great feats or that anything was to be emulated. It's just that sometimes we always have a retreat. We always have a backup plan. Sometimes it's easier to go the way well, there's an out. There's not always an out with God's way. The children of Israel could have gone all kinds of ways, but if they decided to follow God, it was one way. Go into the land and conquer it. They decided not to do that. We have ways that we can go. But if we get up and we begin to declare, I am, and we declare what it is that God has said us to be from His Word, it's kind of tough for us to go any other way. And we don't always like that. We don't always like that there's no retreat. 
And it's far easier to say, well, I'm waiting on God doing this than to simply declare it's done. It's done. What is it that's in your life that is a mountain and that is speaking to you? It doesn't have to be things. It doesn't always have to be money. It can be all sorts of stuff. Jesus spoke to a fig tree. I wonder whose fig tree it was. I wonder if it belonged to anybody. Was it just growing out there wild? How many people you think came up to that fig tree and took figs when it was in season? Maybe they were upset. How come Jesus didn't consult all those things and find out if all those people, how they would be affected? No, he didn't do that, did he? We try and complicate it too much. What does God promise you in his word? What does God say about what you're doing for him? And will you have faith to believe that it's so? What words come out of your mouth after you declare it? Do we go out there and say, I thank God I'm anointed today. I thank God that the anointing of God is on me to minister to people, to do what he's called me to do. And we get out and the first one we meet up with, well, I don't know if this will work. I don't know if this will happen. We all have situations that we're waiting for, aren't we? Our conversation needs to line up with it. What will you do? What will you do? We need to change the way we're talking. We need to change where our doubts are placed. Instead of focusing on getting rid of our doubts, folks, let's focus our doubts on the things that shouldn't be in our life. Let's target our doubts. Let's target our doubts against the enemy. What has the enemy said about you? What is he saying to you? What is he declaring to you? Is he saying you're a failure? Is he saying you'll never overcome that thing? Is he saying you're going down? Come on, haven't we all heard that? Woke up, go to bed at night, you hear the thing, you're going down. It's not working. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your car. Your kids are going to hate you. We're well, going to have all those kind of things going on, folks. No, I don't. Choose to doubt the right thing. Choose to doubt the right thing. What will you do? Do y'all stand up with me? We have some requests. This is why we're waiting for them for the end. Naz, his brother in Trinidad, is in the hospital with a tumor. Well, maybe we ought to find out what kind of tumor it is. Whether it's a good kind or a bad kind. Does it matter? Should he have a tumor? Any word in the, anything in the Word of God that says we should carry tumors? Anything in the Word of God that says He's delivered us from those things? Susan has a cough and gives some congestion. Anything in the Word of God about that? Jesus ministered to Peter's mother-in-law. He had a fever. I don't think He's concerned about anything small. But we need to begin to stand. We need to begin to declare. And we need to begin to say some things. Just because you don't see it doesn't make any difference. Just because you can't see how it will happen, it doesn't matter. Do you think when Peter jumped out on the water, he saw how he was going to be supported? you think the children of Israel could even conceive in their mind when the army is coming up behind them that one way out was through the Red Sea? <laughs> I don't know about you. I wouldn't have been thinking that. I'd be looking for a boat. Where's a boat? God sending me a big boat? Don't limit God. God has called you to where you're at. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're doing what God has said to do. 
And so you can go before God and say, Father God, I am where you want me to be. I have been here. I have followed these steps because you have led me. And I thank you for the help that you give me. And you speak to your situation. You speak to your job. You speak to whatever it is that's going on. My God will help me. My God will cause me to overcome. We're going to look in some things in the Word of God over the next number of weeks. We want to find out how do we target our doubt? How do we put the, the doubt in the right area? How do we get it so that I am not wrestling with doubting the right things and doubt the wrong things? i got to doubt the things that the devil, that the enemy puts in my mind. First, got to identify them. i got to know what the Word of God says. We're not just going to be looking at things and money, but the Word of God deals with those, and so we'll, we'll look at those. But there's other things that the Word of God deals in and deals with. And God's interested in ministry and helping others and loving others. And our faith is involved in all those things. And God will help us to overcome. Father God, we thank you for the things that you have taught us in your word. Oh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who opens up all things to us. That we do not have to stop doubting. We just need to stop doubting your things. The things that you said in your word. Whatever you said in your word, Father, we need to be dedicated that I will believe it. I will trust it. I will believe that it will come about. That you will bring it about into my life. I thank you for that. And in the name of Jesus, we speak right now that this cough, this congestion that Susan has. In the name of Jesus, you have no right in that body and you will not continue. In the name of Jesus, glory to God. In the name of Jesus, we speak to this tumor. This Nazareth brother is believing. He's a believer. We join with him. In the name of Jesus, tumor, you are cursed. You can't continue on in that body. In the name of Jesus, you are removed. Father, there is nothing that is too great for you. It's just that sometimes we just want to doubt. Because doubting the greater thing is easier than believing it. But your things are always greater than the enemy's. So it's harder to believe that and easier to believe the others. Father, we want to walk in in your way. Glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Candy and Bobby, in the name of Jesus, we speak to that blood sugar, that that blood sugar will be leveled out right. And then, Father God, I thank you for the wisdom that you give them and the things they need to do to alter this and to change it. And if any report that has been given to him that he has believed, that is errant, that is wrong, Father, you will reveal that to him through your word, that he will believe your word and your report. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Well, as we said here at the end, I hope you all believe. I hope you all can say, I am a doubter. I am a doubter. But I will choose to doubt the wrong things that are fed to me and believe the right ones. Then we'll have success. Because you're going to believe something. Every one of you sat in the chair today because you believed the chair would hold you. Have you ever run into somebody who doubted it? They look kind of silly, don't they? Always checking out the chair and, and doing stuff. There are people who have fear of bridges. They're afraid that they, when they drive over the bridge, the bridge is perfectly fine, but as soon as they drive over the bridge, the bridge will fall. We all believe and doubt things. Everything that comes in our life is going to require us to have belief and doubt. Identify 
the good things from the Word of God. The Word of God will help you identify it and doubt the wrong things. We'll get more into this as the, as the weeks go on. Just wanted to introduce where we're going with this thing and how we can become targeted doubters.